This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Tuesday, October 16, 2007. I'm Caleb Brown. How safe are free market ideas in today's Republican Party? The predominant opinions of GOP candidates for president are leaving some fans of the free market feeling homeless. The Cato Institute's Stephen Slavinsky is author of the book Buck Wild, How Republicans Broke the Bank and Became the Party of Big Government. He says the GOP's recent populist streak may mean hard times ahead for free market ideas. I think the presidential candidate debates can be seen as sort of a preview of the rebuilding of the Republican Party. And I think one thing that strikes me as is interesting is that since November 2006, and as these candidates are running on the campaign trail, you don't see any of them lustily embracing the spending record of the Republicans over the past six years. You've got all of them saying, yes, we screwed up, meaning we as Republicans. They all say that government spent too much money under Republicans. Uh, So none of them are are saying we need to return to those days. Uh, And some of them even make specific cut recommendations, or more specifically, they'll say when they're asked, what would you cut? I think Brownback was the only one that actually said anything. But I think if you're looking at an overall message, if you're looking for someone that was more Reagan-esque, for instance, I don't think that person has emerged yet. Or more specifically, I don't think any of these candidates have been able to put forward a coherent or a coherent or, or even consistent view of what a government should be in a free society. You, you don't hear any sort of, I would argue, innovative policy proposals. You don't hear of any real interest or any real proposals to scale back the size and scope of government. You talk a li- they, They'll talk rather a little bit about earmarks, they'll talk about waste and such, and this is a rather small portion of the overall federal budget. But I don't hear any sort of overarching, uh, what might be called limited government conservative messages. Uh, in fact, when it comes to things like entitlements, they'll say, oh, we need to strip away some of the rates of growth, or we need to have a commission or something. No one's ever saying what, frankly, what George Bush tried to say, which was, let's have a private account solution for this sort of thing. And you, you don't, you're not even hearing uh, any sort of uh, even flirtation with uh, these sorts of things that I think arguably are probably the best things to come out of the Republican Party. That's quite troubling because in 1976, for example, Republicans were debating whether or not to continue with uh, Gerald Ford or Ronald Reagan. Gerald Ford was, for people who like restrained spending, was something of a hero in the fact that he was not elected to be president and yet he vetoed all manner of spending bills, and Ronald Reagan was sort of the supply-sider who believed that the growth of government should be kept to as minimal a rate as possible. There's nothing like that in the GOP on the presidential debate stage among people who are, are likely to assume the nomination right now. I think it's rather cliche to say that there's no longer a Reagan in the Republican Party. A guy like Reagan only comes around once possibly in a lifetime. I mean, he was a very charismatic candidate. And you also have to assume that 1976 was a rather unique year. What you had was a vice president, or rather an incumbent president, Gerald Ford, who was really never elected in his own right to the office of presidency or vice presidency uh, in a Republican Party that was being slowly taken over by a more conservative. And and by conservative, I mean the more traditional sense, meaning folks who were not just socially conservative, but also fiscally conservative. There was a hybrid that I don't think we see as much of anymore in today's Republican Party. In 1976, you had an interest among conservatives uh, to battle the establishment Republican types. And Reagan uh, had a very good run. In fact, he uh, narrowed Gerald Ford's lead in uh, New Hampshire to to very small numbers. He also was able to win North Carolina and a few key primaries in Texas and California. And so by the time you got to the summer of 76, you had a broker convention. Uh, And so it's an interesting thought that uh, someone like Reagan, whose national political campaign began with this sort of defeat, but it began in a very different 
sort of environment. Today, you have a presidential campaign that begins much earlier, and it's sort of an endurance race. Uh, the guys who can raise the money and give the best speeches, whether they're whether they're filled with principle or not, and usually they're not, uh, they're the ones who are going to, I think, be able to, to, to work this out in the long term. And that doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be Reagan-esque. It just means that they're better at planning for an endurance race. If I'm a Republican candidate for president, and I'm reading the polling data that is coming back for the broad swath of Americans, and I'm purely opportunistic, I'm not going to be a free market Republican. I'm not going to be someone who's going to push for dramatic liberalization of the U.S. economy, dramatic liberalization of trade, because I read the polls and I see this is, in some ways, a Lou Dobbs America. I think you're seeing that represented by some of the candidates in the Republican primaries. A guy like Mike Huckabee or Duncan Hunter or Tom Tancredo. I mean, these are second tier, possibly even third tier candidates. But the truth is, they're representing, I think, a a growing portion of the Republican base. And those are people who are skeptical of globalization. They're skeptical of free trade. They're skeptical of immigration. And so as a result, you've got a more Ross Perot, Pat Buchanan, Lou Dobbs type cadre. Folks like those mentioned, Mike Huckabee is probably the, the leading candidate in the sense that he probably is the more electable, like, or at least in terms of polling and such. Uh, but here's a guy who talks about being a Main Street Republican, not a Wall Street Republican, trying to and trying to suggest that there's a disconnect between those two sorts of things, whereas free marketers are much happier with the idea that the economy is driven by entrepreneurs and investment. And that's what you want to make America friendly toward, the idea of risk-taking and investment. And I think you're starting to see something similar to what you saw in 1992, where you had an election taking place in what was perceived generally by voters as a weak economy, a poor economy. And so you had a Ross Perot and you had a Pat Buchanan sounding many of the same tones that you're hearing now. Uh, Whether this will lead the Republican Party to becoming less free market is still an open question. Uh, You've got a larger portion of uh, social conservatives within the Republican Party. In fact, those that might be considered fiscal conservatives only account for about less than 20 percent, if you're looking at the polls, uh, among Republican voters. And so you've got this very a clear threat, I think, to free market ideas within the Republican Party. And whether social conservatives are too angry with who the Republicans nominate, um, maybe it's a Giuliani, for instance, and they've claimed that if, if he's the nominee, they'll bolt from the party. That might be unlikely. I mean, it's one of those things where, where are social conservatives going to go anyway? They might as well vote for the Republican. But there's a very real sense that they may not show up uh, to vote. And if they are able to exert their power in this way, I think the Republican Party could uh, turn more populist uh, and anti-trade. I and mean, they certainly are uh, rather anti-immigration now. And I think that's uh, a very uh, disconcerting trend. Stephen Slavinsky is author of the book Buck Wild, How Republicans Broke the Bank and Became the Party of Big Government. This is the Cato Daily Podcast. Please also consider a subscription to Cato Audio, a 60-minute monthly CD that brings you inside the Cato Institute for highlights from the one-of-a-kind lectures and events presented by Cato each month. You may subscribe at our website, cato.org.